Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. Dorchester residents will be dribbling on a redesigned court courtesy of the Get in the Paint contest and a Boston Celtics star. Our young people deserve the best on and off the court. So the city of Boston took a shot at restoring the Fenelon Street basketball court last Friday with help from Boston Celtics shooting guard Jalen Brown in hopes of inspiring the Dorchester community to continue the fight for equity. This is just a small example of what needs to go on here in communities like this. Yeah, I know a fancy court and we got cameras here and everything seems to be great, but it's a lot of issues that we got to continue to tackle. It's a lot of things and conversations that need to continue to be had. And as long as I'm, I'm here, Hello, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to continue to do that. The fact that this is being done with community, helping paint, owning, and being part of making this happen, this is going to go a long way and it's going to shape the next generations. Having high quality venues for young people to play and dwell in sends the message to our youth and their communities that they matter, encouraging the next generation to make good choices in order to thrive. It's important that our kids, and I say our kids because we are a community, we are a village, we are a neighborhood. I've been around here my entire life. I am a mom, my son grew up around here, and it's important that we have brand new spaces, brand new renovations, why not? It's important that they come through these gates to stay out of trouble. So I want to encourage all you young kids, all of you teens, little ones, that there is power in numbers, power in the people, and especially little people. So you can make anything happen in your community if that's what you want to do. It was the kids in the community that made this happen. The revitalization of Fenelon Court is just the beginning of a series of renovations to public spaces throughout Boston. These investments run deeper than aesthetics. They're a commitment to uplifting our neighborhoods. With the right resources, every community can prosper. Marginalized communities, there's, there's ample symbols of oppression. Um, and when things are unkept or things are gatekept, um, it, it creates this psychological sense of hopelessness for our young people. So when things are uplifted, you know, art seems like this frivolous activity, but in fact, um, it can liberate an individual. It can provide a sense of possibility. And I think that's what this court is doing. We're excited to be at Fenelon Court today, our newest um, project that we're taking on for renovation. This is because the community got involved. We want parks to be busy. We want them to be welcoming and we want them to be safe. And when the community gets behind projects like this to help design it for the way to make it safe and welcoming, for all neighborhood residents to do. And not only in basketball courts, that's something around the city that we're always trying to do with our spaces. Make them safe, welcoming, invitable, and accessible for everybody. Also in Dorchester, dozens of high school students assisted the Boston Police Department in delivering thousands of pounds of food to Boston residents in need of food assistance. On Monday, Goya Foods partnered with the Boston Police Department to bring 15,000 pounds of food to people in need throughout the city as part of the Goya Gibbs initiative. Each police department does have a list of people who are in need and they're going to disperse these um, bags to them so that the whole entire community in Boston will have this food. It's, for us it's important that we're helping, uh, helping out everybody, not just Latino community, but everybody in need. Well, no one should ever be hungry, right? If we have, we should give. There's some of us who are fortunate, and we should give so no one is ever left behind. 
With help from the Puerto Rican Festival of Massachusetts and Diego Boston, a group of Latino emergency responders promoting positive engagement within Boston police, volunteers were able to package hundreds of bags of food at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Boston on Talbot Ave. What it says about society is right now we live in a society that's very polarized. You know, everybody's kind of like in their silos. And what we just want to do is we just want to bring people together. Because the only way you can really help people is by people, all kinds of people just coming together. And if Goya can have a part to play in bringing people together, you know, then, then that's great. And we're very proud of that. High school students assisted officers in their efforts to help food insecure families and engage with local law enforcement to better their communities. Giving back to the community and helping other people out in Boston is, you know, giving back, being supportive of each other. We all live in Boston. We all come together as one and just fight together. For many immigrants, coming to America is a dream. However, what if coming here was not a choice, but a necessity to flee war, conflict, or to protect your family? In June, former refugees returned to Roxbury, where the movement from there to here and back was born. Learn how one man is putting in the work to make his home country, Liberia, a better place. I knew that um, America has millions of Jefferson Kuras. There are a lot of people who, even not even Americans, they come from other countries, they come here to solve this country's problems. And I felt like Liberia didn't have enough of people like me, so I needed to go back. Jefferson Krua was just a seventh grader when his family came to the United States as refugees, escaping the civil war in Liberia. And last month, he and the Krua family returned to 12th Baptist Church in Roxbury to give thanks to the community that provided for them as Jefferson embarks on a new journey. He promised to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Eight years ago, Jefferson made the fateful decision to return to Liberia and develop the country from infrastructure to policy so that no Liberian would ever need to leave. Since I came to America, I always knew I was going to go back um, because uh, we, you know, my grandfather, my grandparents, one of the things that they've told me is that we need to make sure that we go back and we can be able to have an impact over there because our country needs us. So it's always been at the back of my mind that I was going to go back. And everything, I, every major life decision I've made has been geared towards going back. The passion to improve his country began with his grandfather, Reverend Mansi Krua, a respected educator responsible for building the first school in his family's Nimba County, and carried on to Jefferson's uncle, Reverend Torley Krua, who founded the From There to Here and Back movement over three decades ago. From There to Here and Back was started by us as refugees because that's what a refugee wants. Refugees are human beings made in the image of God. They want a better place to live. They want peace and security for themselves and their families. They love their cultures, love their languages, and they want their countries to flourish. That's what they want. And that is why refugees who are forced to flee will always desire to go back and rebuild and build a sustainable system in their countries. Now Jefferson is running for the Liberian House of Representatives to build a brighter future for the country. There's a saying that people have is that Liberian people don't hate corruption. They just hate corruption when you're being corrupt and you're not sharing with them. Um, so we want people to understand that corruption 
um, is something that actually contributes to our country being underdeveloped. So uh, I am going to push for a lot of transparency because corruption is hard for corruption to, to thrive in, in, um, in light. And there are many people stateside who support him in his campaign and see the importance of what he's doing. I just saw this guy is going to do something. Like he, he just was so polished, so intelligent, so articulate, so authentic. And I feel like even then he, he, he looked like he was going to have a mission. Most of the politicians I've been seeing, they are older people. And being a very young guy, brainy guy to go and to try to change the dynamic we have, I believe in him. But his biggest supporter is his mother, Mercy Krua. I know it's not everybody who are in support of, when it comes to quality, as you know, the home gets divided, families get divided, friends get divided, but we all can be on the negative side when people make decisions to do what they want to do. We have to support them. So I'm very happy that I'm here to support them. He has already accomplished so much for the people of Liberia, from installing solar streetlights, water hand pumps, and expanding agriculture with high-value crops that will financially benefit farmers, all while traversing the diverse topography of the Tapita district on the back of a motorcycle, with the determination to get his message across. But there's more work to be done, which is why Jefferson is calling on his community to help him reach his fundraising goals. I want this country to be a country that I can be able to invite you, to invite anybody, all my friends. I want to be able to invite people to come to Liberia and to see how developed Liberia is, for them to appreciate Liberia for it being a vibrant country that people can be able to live in it um, and not feel like they have to leave to be able to make it. Elections in Nimba's 6th District take place this October. To learn more about Jefferson Krua or support his campaign, you can visit www.jeffersoncrua.com. The sun was shining in South Boston last Saturday as residents of the Mary Ellen McCormick Housing Complex came together to celebrate the palpable sense of community in this special neighborhood. There was no holding back in South Boston as the music brought good vibes to the forefront at the Mary Ellen McCormack Unity Day on Saturday. This is an event that we have every year to bring people out, get to know your neighbors. Uh, Unit, Unity Day is important because uh, it brings us all together. We get to share things, different food uh, from different nationalities, uh, different customs, people that learn to care about one another, which is important to me, people that may have issues, uh, there's agencies here that can help them bring out that to people and help them with the different agencies to let them know what they can do within the community to help. And there's over 2,000 people living in this site, and so it's important in terms of unity to come together every once in a while and just appreciate each other. There are people from all different backgrounds and cultures. They've come here for all different reasons. And this is a day where we can just sort of relax and hang out and get to know each other better. There's a big difference, you know, that when you grow up in a space where people don't, we're supposed to all be neighbors, but we don't know each other. You know, there's a sense of um, disconnect. 
And I think the difference between being disconnected and being in a community that sees you, that is what unity is all about. But when you, when you don't have unity, you have a lot of discourse. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to bridge together um, and really support one another. Formerly called the Old Harbor Housing Project, the Mary Ellen McCormack Complex is the first public housing development in New England and remains one of the largest today. In 2017, Boston Housing Authority announced plans via wind companies to redevelop the 1,000-plus subsidized apartments with over 3,000 brand-new units, including 100% replacement of homes for current residents. With plans moving forward, late BHA champion Bill McGonigal would have been proud to see the strides that Boston has made for housing equity. There's a saying that the sign of a life lived well is that the work that you do lives after you. And it is so true about Bill McGonigal. Billy McGonigal and, and I had a thousand meetings with him over the last 20 years. And he always had the best interests of the residents of public housing, especially here at Miriam McCormick, in his heart. And that's what guided him. And it's so fitting that his name, his legacy, his good work will continue to be done and his message of unity will continue to be put out there through the Bill McGonigal Community Center. Bill McGonigal's legacy will be commemorated in the naming of the new community center, which will continue his mission of creating kinship in diverse neighborhoods. Those dealing with homelessness are faced with difficulties that can seem insurmountable at times. And even with the many resources available in Boston, access to quality health care is still a struggle for many young people and families. Dr. Aura Obando, Medical Director of Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program's family team, provides shelter-based medical care to families and unaccompanied youth experiencing homelessness in the Boston area. Dr. Obando joined us in studio to discuss the adversities that those facing homelessness endure during the hot summer months and how Boston Healthcare for the Homeless is working with youth and families to bring health care equity to those who need it most. The model of care for Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program is to bring care to where their, our patients are rather than expecting them to come to us in the more traditional medical model. And so on my team, which is the family team, we serve families experiencing homelessness and youth and young adults experiencing homelessness. And so we do that in a number of ways. We have shelter-based clinics and program-based clinics where we have set up a room that the space has given us into a clinic and offer full-spectrum primary care in those spaces. We also have a more traditional clinic right around the corner here on Columbus Ave. Um, where people can come to us in, in a clinical setting to receive services. And then we also do outreach on a medical van, specifically for youth and young adults. Wonderful. Um, and can you tell us more about some of the programs that you offer uh, for those seeking assistance? Absolutely. The, the needs, as you can imagine, are really varied. Um, and so we really try to tailor each encounter to the individual. And so some folks are in need of primary care. Uh, some folks are just not feeling well that day and, and have a primary care elsewhere but are having a hard time accessing that and so we might take care of them that day. Some folks might need uh, behavioral health support, so counseling, psychiatry. 
um, and primary care or individually. Um, and then other, other patients might need more case management services, meaning help with transportation to medical appointments, um, material needs like diapers and food and other kind of more urgent mm. things that are hard for our patients to sometimes come by. And so our clinic offers that full spectrum, uh, one-stop shop, um, and, and in our team, we, we bring those services out to the shelter settings. And so it's really up to each individual how much they access us and what, what they use of our services. Mm. And why is it important that BHCHP provide access to quality health care to children and families experiencing um, housing instability? It's, uh, you know, families are um, a little bit of a, a hidden population, as are youth for that matter. Um, a lot of families experiencing homelessness may not be visibly homeless. And so a lot of um, services that are available for, for folks experiencing homelessness, they have to request. And so it's really wonderful to be able to be on site and decrease all the barriers that come with that, whether it's having enough bus fare to get to the hospital or to um, apply for food stamps um, or having a stroller or a car seat even to, to do these kinds of outings. We try to bring the services right where people are to decrease all those barriers to care that might exist for each individual. The, um, right now, the number of families experiencing homelessness in Massachusetts is at an all-time high. So this is particularly a critical need right now. What I often find is that um, in that setting of, of housing instability where people are really trying to use whatever they have available for housing, whether it's staying with friends or with family until that runs out and they have to seek help with shelter, that a lot of interruptions in their medical care happen in that, in that time period. And so our goal is to try to bridge people back to their medical homes or to provide medical care directly if their medical homes aren't accessible for whatever reason, for instance, distance. Mm. Um, and, and the other piece I also notice is that a lot of parents experiencing homelessness prioritize their children's needs, but kind of make their own medical needs uh, secondary. And so we see a lot of lapses in, for instance, patient, parents that had been, um, you know, well controlled with their diabetes or hypertension in that setting of kind of losing that connection to their medical home, those things become active or, or um, flare up. And so that's where we have a, a nice role in kind of uh, stabilizing folks so that they can succeed with with their quest for housing or, or employment or whatever their particular plan is. And uh, you mentioned earlier that a lot of families aren't visibly homeless. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the added factors that lead to increased housing instability, particularly in the summertime? So, in um, one of the the main stabilizing factors is this is the presence of a school stability. So, um, pa parents will often really work hard to help their children finish off the year at their current school. And so that, again, might mean sort of tapping into all their resources of friends and family to try to make sure the children don't get uprooted from that, that, that school presence, that school system. And then as soon as the year is over, there's less of that stabilizing pull. And so that's when we see a lot of people enter the shelter system, the family shelter system specifically. Um, and they're, you know, there's also di uh, challenges with maintaining employment. If children aren't in school, 
and you don't have camp or daycare or some alternative lined up, it's really hard for the parent to keep working during the summer. And so sometimes we see people being unable to maintain their employment as well, which is another driver of homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, and usually when we talk about homelessness, we, we usually are talking about adults, but we're, we're thinking about the children today. How does housing instability particularly affect children? We consider homelessness um, and housing instability a trauma in itself. Uh, it's, there's something called the adverse childhood experiences and, uh, or ACEs uh, for short. And what these things are, it's a number of exposures that can happen during childhood that cause stress in that children's, in the child's life. And that stress can lead to long-term consequences. So for instance, homelessness is one of those. Uh, experiencing uh, violence in the home, child abuse, uh, parental uh, depression and mental health needs, substance use, food insecurity. These are all childhood stressors. And the more you're exposed to those, the higher the risk of developing long-term outcomes um, that are not favorable as an adult yourself. So a child who experienced maternal depression and homelessness and food insecurity as a child has a higher risk of developing these, these consequences, which include health problems also, so like hypertension and diabetes, heart problems, as well as mental health needs like substance use and depression. Oh. So our goal is to try to build resilience around the children we work with to try to decrease the risk of any of those things happening down the line. Our goal is to break that cycle. Oh, thank you. And for families who may be experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity, what words do you have for them? How can they reach out for help? Well, I definitely think reaching out is the key. So being not being shy about asking for help because there's a lot of services in the state. We're very blessed to have uh, a state that has a right to shelter. So for families that meet the criteria, we guarantee a shelter placement in this state. Um, we also have a lot of resources through our uh, medical centers and community health centers. Uh, and so families can always, always start with your medical home, your pediatrician, your family doctor, and ask for help with things like food insecurity or access to diapers and certainly with housing support as well. And there's usually someone in that practice that can help guide them to the right resource. The school system is another wonderful resource. Each school has a homelessness liaison assigned that can help support the family. And there are specific programs through Boston Public Schools that work with DTA to help connect families to resources as well. And so the first step is being not, not to be shy about asking for help with certain resources. The second one is any family in the Boston area experiencing homelessness or housing instability is welcome to access our clinic. We're at 1785 Columbus Ave in the third floor. We're right across from Dimmick Health Center and our expertise is really around families um, experiencing homelessness and housing instability and our clinic can help pro provide some supports as well. Carolina Schneider, a registered dietitian known as Carolina the Green RD, is an advocate for the Farm Bill Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. SNAP, formerly known as Food Stamps, which provides vital assistance to millions of disadvantaged Americans so they can access nutritious food. However, there are several nutrition gaps that demand attention from Congress, which voters can affect. Carolina joined us via Zoom to discuss the importance of the SNAP benefit program and how recipients can improve their diet while Congress confers on the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill actually includes provisions for nutrition assistance programs such as SNAP, which some people may remember it as 
food stamps. And SNAP is responsible for putting food on the table for more than 40 million Americans each month. And out of those, 70% are families with children. So um, programs like this that are um, really structured by the Farm Bill can determine how much access people have to nutritious foods every month. Perfect. And what are some of the nutritional gaps in the SNAP program right now? What are some of the proposed changes to the Farm Bill that are currently uh, in progress for Congress? So there are two things um, that I think are important here. So one, I think SNAP really lacks explicit guidelines when it comes to helping people make good food choices. So it includes healthy, nutritious foods. It gives access to, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, but it also gives people access to not so healthy foods. So teaching people how to make the best choice for them is something that is lacking. Another major thing that is lacking is access to vitamin supplementation. So mm -hmm. as a restaurant dietitian, I know that unfortunately, we can't always get everything from food and we can't always meet our nutritional requirements through food. So um, one vitamin in particular that would be really easy um, to be added to the SNAP program and it would cost no, nothing additional to the program is vitamin D, which is something where most of us are deficient in. Um, and we know from past years that vitamin D plays such a crucial role in protecting us um, from diseases, you know, cardiovascular disease, respiratory illness, and actually having higher levels of vitamin D can lower your risk for preterm birth by mm. 60%. So definitely we want to make sure people are getting adequate vitamin D in their diet. How many people participate in SNAP and what can we do to influence Congress on making changes to the Farm Bill? Yeah, so about 40 million Americans rely on SNAP every month, um, just quite a lot. Um, what, you know, what we can do as citizens is reach out to our local Congress representatives. And I know people may be wondering, how do I do that? Um, I didn't know either. Um, but luckily, there is a great nonprofit organization. They're called Organic and Natural Health Association, and they've done the work for us. They've pre-written a letter um, or email that's can go out to, to your local Congress, all you have to do is go to allforvitamind.org, um, click on the Take Action tab, um, put in your information, your address, your zip code, the letter is written for you, you can modify it if you like, and that sends it to your, you know, the right Congress representative for you. Um, again, it takes a few, few minutes, two to three minutes, and you can make a big change, hopefully, um, to get vitamin D into SNAP. That's great. So there's actually power in our, our viewers' hands to, to make changes. That's great. And in terms of Congress, sometimes the wheels of change can be slow. Uh, what can recipients do now to make healthy choices in their eating? Yeah, so a few things that you can do today is prioritize nutritious, wholesome foods. So trying to steer clear from processed packaged foods. Um, you can also plan ahead. So making your meals at home will give you more control of how healthy they are. Um, eating out less um, will also save you money. Um, you can also, this is one of my favorite things, you can add some frozen fresh fruits and vegetables. I'm sorry, frozen, not fresh fruits and vegetables because one, they are inexpensive and two, they last for, for a long period. So you can improve your diet by relying on those frozen products. Um, you can also take advantage of um, coupons or discount codes from manufacturers who make these supplements, um, the vitamin supplements. So something like vitamin D, you can get discounts and coupon codes 
to start taking advantage of that at, at, at home and make sure you're getting your proper levels. Um, and then finally, you can shop at local um, independent grocers and natural product stores. These usually have such a great variety of fresh or local produce from local farmers. So you're not only supporting your local community and economy, but you're nourishing your body with better food options. If you're looking for exciting things to do this weekend, the NAACP convention currently happening at Boston Convention and Exhibition Center now through Tuesday, August 1st, featuring The Hub, an open to all community event highlighting art, sports, entertainment and technology. Support Black-owned brands, attend inspiring talks on wealth building, wellness and mental health. NAACP.org forward slash The Hub for more information. And if you're in the mood for performance at the Hub Theater, no relation, for Love, Loss, and What I Wore by Nora and Delia Efron, directed by award-winning local favorite Paula Plum, a wise and witty comedy that proves that great theater is always in fashion. The show runs at the Club Cafe on 209 Columbus Ave in Boston's Back Bay through Saturday, August 5th, with performances on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at 7.30 p.m., Sundays at 2 p.m., and a Saturday matinee on August 5th at 2 p.m. Donations of new and gently worn clothing will be collected for charity. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. That's all we have for tonight. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon, and I'll see you next Friday.